0: All right, our Old Testament reading comes from Exodus 14, verses 5 through 14, and this is part of the story we've been waiting on for a long time, if you've been been here week after week as we've been reading through Exodus and waiting for the people to be fully brought out of um, slavery in Egypt, and we are just so on the edge of that. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you've given to us, and God, we do pray that you'd help us this morning to hear your word, and more than that, to be shaped by it today and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 14, starting in verse 5, this is when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots, uh, all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite baal zephon As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, "'Leave us alone!' Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So good. Turning to Our gospel reading, another moment everything has been leading up to in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning, they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from, that cro- from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, uh, we're actually looking at Revelation chapter 21, which comes at the very, very, very end of the Bible. And this is also something we've been waiting for. In fact, it's something we've been waiting for uh, not just since the beginning of Revelation. This is something that we have been waiting for since the beginning of the world. It's what we're going to be reading about here. This is um, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to keep in mind... (laughs) What happened at the very beginning? So if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, how does it start? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Okay. Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This um, passage kicks off really what's happening for the rest of the Bible. And, um, and so we'll get more time to explore that, kind of like the way when we hit... Um, Kind of the, the seventh bowl, and then we spend a, a lot of time looking at that, sort of unpacking all of that. And then we'll do that the same here. He introduces this in the first eight verses of chapter 21, and then we get a lot more about it as we go. And so we're not going to fully unpack all of this today. Today, mainly we're going to look at uh, just getting excited about it and the, and the main point of it, okay? <laughs> so... um First of all, they're getting excited about it because this is, uh, think about this. Think about when you go back to Genesis 1 and all that God created, where there was a place for everything and everything in its place and the way that things were before sin enters the picture. You ever wish you could go back to that? See what things were like? Adam and Eve in the garden together with God, completely unashamed before him and before each other. Everything open, everything honest, everything life flourishing, the way it's supposed to be, you ever wish you could just go experience just a taste of that? And this says we will, that <laughs> there will be a time where all the stuff that's happened since then, all the, uh, when you read in Genesis chapter three and sin enters the world and people turn away from God, and he says, okay, now here's what's going to be the result. And there's sort of this general breakdown in all of creation. The relationships break down between God and people, between people and each other, between people and creation itself. And so we've never experienced here how creation was originally. And what we've experienced instead is uh, the way that creation is after sin is already a part of the picture. But one day... (laughs) If this is what we have to look for, one day we'll experience a renewed, restored creation to the way it's supposed to be without any of the stuff that messes it up. So think about this. What are some of your favorite parts of creation now? <laughs> right? I mean, don't get me started. <laughs> there's there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, one of the things that just personally I like to marvel at, because every time i just even think about this in the slightest, it is uh, a source of, um, of praise to God. And that is uh, something you learn about in elementary school, just the water cycle. Remember the, the graphs of the water cycle from the, the charts in your textbook? You remember that? Yeah? You've seen those? And they draw it out, and you're like, oh, that's neat. The older I get the more of just absolute overwhelming praise that comes, like overflow of praise that comes when I think about the water cycle. I know. Hear me out. I'm thinking if I were inventing a world, there would be no rivers, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because for rivers to exist, you have to have water flowing from high to low. That's what a river is. This is water flowing from higher ground to lower ground. And think about how many rivers we have. All over the world. There's so many of those. Here's where I would have fallen down on the whole job of creating a world with rivers. How do you get the water uphill again <laughs> to start over? Pretty amazing, right? That's, that's part of the deal. That God has created a world that has rivers because of this whole evaporation and condensation. And then it comes back down in rain and snow and sleet and hail. and anyway. <laughs> On higher ground and it runs down and it waters this whole area of land. It's amazing. How different would this world be if there were no rivers? is that bizarre? But it's not just um, evaporation. There's even springs that bubble up. And as we look at uh, all the way back to Genesis, that's what we see in Eden itself. Is It's the this place where four different rivers come from Eden. Like this place has water that's just bubbling up out of the ground. It's amazing. We get to the new heaven and new earth we'll see rivers coming in uh, in later parts. But here we have reference to springs. It's a little little different. This is in verse six to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. good is that? Just bubbling up. Can you imagine a world where drought isn't a part of it? That's pretty good, right? Can you imagine a world where spiritual dryness isn't a part of it? But that this water of life is this this springs... uh, How do I say that again? Um... Uh, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. I hope when you hear that, you're thinking of the woman Jesus talked to at the well. Oh, give me some of this water so I don't have to keep coming back. <laughs> this is what we have uh, to look forward to. Those, it says to those who are victorious, it will inherit all this. Here's the crazy thing. That's not the point. The point of the whole thing is not that the creation will be renewed, as exciting as that is, and as much as we might look forward to that. That's not the point. What was the point from the very beginning and all the way through is that God would be with his people, that they would be with him. This is what we see. In uh, Genesis 1, when he creates them in his image. And then in chapter 2, where we see as he not only creates them personally, but in relationship. He is with them. They are with him. It's remarkable how it says that pretty clearly in the first part of the Bible and the whole rest of the Bible. There's so much that points to that same thing over and over and over and over again. And we can miss it entirely. I read a book um, years ago by Sky Jatani that's just called With. <laughs> and the reason he calls it With is because he said that's what the whole Bible is about, is about uh, God being with his people. This is the problem of sin, of course, that, we, um, that, there's, that sin separates us from God. And this is what we see being solved in things like the sacrificial system, this way that God can be with his people even though his people are sinful people. And so how can the sacrifice cover over that sin so we can be together? At least in some sense. Until one day we can be together completely. He said, but even though you have this kind of thing going on throughout the entire Bible, this whole message of us being with God, that's the whole point of the uh, sacrificial system. It's the whole point of Jesus coming and tearing apart uh, the curtain separates us from God, even with his own death. We could be with him again. We get to the end of the Bible. (laughs) This is it. How many times did it say this or ideas like this in just these eight verses? Verse three, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be, you expect it to say right there, I expect to say they will be his people and he will be their God, right? That's been all through the Bible. You hear that kind of language. And here it says they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Oh, how cool is that? And then it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. So it's not just that he will be um, Lord and God and in the ruling, powerful sense. He will be that, but also together with people who have had the sin taken care of once and for all. And it says in verse 7 to those, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So good. Anyway, back to the book that I read called With. He said, You can read through the entire Bible. You see all these ideas of us being together with God. That's the whole point. And he said, And yet still, Here's some of the little cartoon thing he uses. I don't know if you can see that from there. Probably should have put it on the screen, but it didn't. And uh, <laughs> and he says a lot of times people live life over God, as though uh, I get to decide what we do. And you know, maybe there's not even a God, but if there is, I'm in charge. Uh, then there's the uh, life under God, where it's just all about uh, the rules. There's no relationship. It's um, just a matter of uh, kind of dead religion. Then you have uh, the life from God. It's just this idea of seeing what it is that you know God gives lots of gifts and so, you know, we should just be those who receive the gifts. And so we're just a hey, we'll just see what we can get from God. And um and then, yeah. Not much relationship, it's more the uh, kind of Santa Claus thing there. And then uh four, it's the life for God. This is this uh, completely, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and I'm going to do amazing things for God, and he's going to be so impressed with me. And then um, there may be a place for each of those things, some more than others, within a relationship with God kind of life, but it's really all about that. And you go all the way through the Bible, and you see this over and over again, and that's what we're getting here. And that's why I say as much as we see this restored creation, this new heaven, this new earth, That is not affected by the the curse anymore, that sin is no part of that anymore. It's not the restored creation that we're looking forward to as much as that's the point, as much as this life with God, that we now experience in part through Jesus, but that one day we will experience fully. How great is that? Did you hear how it described? this uh, new Jerusalem coming down. <clears throat> I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. of heaven. we'll talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is that reference to the time period of between being engaged and actually being married. And there's this time period where you're, you're getting ready. In some sense, you're kind of already married, but in some sense, not quite yet. <laughs> and so the bride is getting ready for this wedding. And this is what is, um, uh, and not just this wedding, but this marriage. And this is what is our state now. Uh, If we are in Christ now, we are those who are being made ready for the marriage that is to come between uh, the lamb and his church, between Jesus and his people. Now there is that uh, verse... At the end there, verse 8, that talks about those who will not inherit this. And i got to be a little bit careful with this. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is here as a statement of fact, but it's also here as a warning. And this is um, not not something where we should ever look at someone else and be like, well, I know what's happening with them. And especially, there should be um, no joy involved with that. We should be glad that that kind of stuff is not going to be a part of the new creation. That will be gone. But we should also be very sober in our assessment of of our own selves as it relates to these kinds of things because what this is saying is not just if you've done these things ever because everybody's done all all these things but everybody's done these things, right? And it's not saying nobody's going to be there. But these are identifiers that are um, identity markers, people who have chosen this as opposed to their relationship with God. So I would rather have my that than to have a relationship with God. And if having a relationship with him means I have to give up that, no, not going to do it. I'm holding on to the things of Babylon. He says, well, then you go where Babylon goes. But to those who want God, to those who want a life with him, to those who are willing to put him first in everything that is where you have this relationship that Jesus has made possible through his death and resurrection. We have this relationship that starts now, this life that starts now and goes on to forever. This is why he says, verse seven, those who are victorious. And this is what it means to be victorious is to have him first and to let him prepare us for this wedding and marriage. Those who are victorious uh, will inherit all this. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. How awesome. (laughs) And I don't just mean like neato, but I mean awesome. (laughs) To consider what this will be. For us to be. Those. Those are called the children of God because we are actually made in his image. We have been adopted by Jesus. We are in relationship and growing up to look like him in all kinds of ways. And to think about what that'll be like. To get to see this renewed and restored creation the way things are supposed to be and to actually have a right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. God himself wiping the tears from our eyes, holding us close and us getting to Together, with him, explore uh, this life in the new creation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Or well, this morning, we have heard um, just a little bit about what you have in store and God, I pray that you would help, um, help us to live now in light of even this glimpse of what life will be like in the new creation with you. God, we thank you. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the point of everything. And God, we thank you for including us, for creating us, for sustaining our lives. And we thank you for redeeming us, saving us even from ourselves. And God, for the promise of resurrection, of renewed bodies that don't break down in a new creation that doesn't break down either. I would pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors.